You know, we had three, as my dad said, we had three really good weeks when we were able to come back and, and worship together. We had talked to a lot of other churches, and it seemed to be that the trend was during those weeks when we were back in worship together, socially distancing, uh, though it may have been, that the churches were all running somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of what they would normally have on a typical Sunday morning, and that's Right? We were right there in that, in that range somewhere. We were having 700, 750 people uh, as probably an average, 725 people maybe for those weeks. And we were just excited to be getting back. And we felt like we, things were getting back to normal. And then, of course, the numbers have spiked. And so we're back now doing services online. And so it's not an ideal situation, but it is what it is. And we're making the best of it. And we're trying to trust God with what we're going through. And, and maybe that would be a good place for me to start my sermon this morning. You know, I feel like at a time like this, going through what we're going through, especially now with this most recent setback, we have to again ask the question, what is happening? What is going on in the world? And maybe even a better question of that is, what is God up to? Now, at a time like this, your theology is very, very important. Now, theology is just a big word that simply means what you believe about God. And so how you view God, what your theology is, is extremely important at a time like this. And so my theology, based on the Bible, and I'm sure yours is the same, is that the God we serve is absolutely in control of every situation in life. We all believe that. And so that means that everything we go through, God either caused it or he has allowed it. Now, on this coronavirus, we're saying, and as best as I can understand the situation, that this is something that God has allowed. I don't believe that God caused this virus, but he has allowed it. And now he is allowing it to drag on and on and on. And the situation in the world is what it is today for this simple reason. God has allowed it to be this way. So that's why we're shut down again. That's why we're going through what we're going through again, because as God is seated on his throne in the heavens, looking down on what's happening on planet earth, God has made a decision to allow this COVID-19 to last longer than any of us thought it would. And we have to say, if God is allowing this to go on this long, and it could go on for quite a bit longer, why? What is God's purpose? What is God up to? Well, I don't pretend to have the total answer to that question, but I think from the Bible we can surmise using the brains that God has given us and studying about the experiences that others have been through, we can conclude this, that God has chosen to call a timeout on what we would call normal and regular life. Here we were last November, December, January, and February, even into March, things were normal. We were living our lives. We were, we were this virus or any, a pandemic, that was the farthest thing from any of our minds. And then all of a sudden, this is what happened. And so normal life has not been normal for a long time now. And it may not be normal for a little time or maybe even a long time to go. So what has God done? God has called a timeout in life. Now, I know that many of you watching today are sports fans, and I certainly am. And one of the things that I like when I watch sports, I like to watch how coaches manage a game. 
And if you're a basketball fan, you know that last Sunday, which was Father's Day, if it were normal, if it were regular life, last Sunday night would have been game seven of the NBA Finals. Now, it doesn't always go seven games. It's best four. It's four out of seven. So sometimes the series wraps up before you get to game seven. But had it gone seven games... Last Sunday night would have been game seven. Now, we don't know who would have been playing in that. Maybe the Lakers would have been there. Maybe the Clippers. Maybe the Milwaukee Bucks would have been playing against those teams. But in, in the NBA Finals, use your imagination and play like, let's just say the Lakers were playing the Milwaukee Bucks. And let's play like in game seven, NBA Finals. And whoever wins the game wins the championship. So let's just say that somewhere in the third quarter, the Milwaukee Bucks go on a 14-0 run. That means they score 14 points while the Lakers don't score any points. So what would the coach of the Lakers, what would Frank Vogel have done after the Bucks had run off 14 straight points? Well, more than likely... As, he, as, he, as he's watching that game and he's seeing the other team score 14 points while his team has scored no points, he would have called a timeout. And he would have gotten LeBron James, Anthony Davis, he would have gotten his team over there on the sideline. And during that timeout, he would have tried to calm them down. He would have tried to slow the pace of the game down and get them ready to go back in and to hopefully get back into the game. And so as I was thinking about that, it made me ask this question. And so if you're not a sports fan, just indulge me for just a couple of minutes, then we'll get right into the Bible. But here was a question I was thinking. In a basketball game, why does a coach call a timeout? Now, again, if you're not a sports fan, you're thinking, why did I even turn this on today? Because I don't care. But just stay with me. Why would a coach call a timeout in a game? Well, as I was thinking about that, I jotted down five reasons why a coach would call a timeout in a game. And before I mention these five reasons, I want to suggest to you these five reasons are the same reasons that God has called a timeout, not on a game, but on our lives, and not only our lives, but the lives of everybody in the world. Five reasons a coach calls a timeout. Number one, God calls a timeout to slow things down. God knows, or a coach knows, that sometimes you just got to stop the momentum. If the other team has scored 14 points in a row, you've got to just stop the bleeding, and you've got to slow things down And you've got to kind of help your team to regroup a little bit. Sometimes in life, God calls a timeout for the very same reason. He looks down at us. He sees that we're going at life 90 to nothing. And God, you know, maybe God tries to let it play out. And sometimes if you're watching professional or college basketball, maybe a team will go on an eight-point or a ten-point run, and the coach won't call a timeout. And he'll just say, well... I'm going to see if the team can kind of get back in this without my intervention. But if it gets up to 14, 16 points, coach got to call a timeout. Sometimes in life, we get to going 90 to nothing, and God doesn't do anything. God just watches, and God says, I'm going to see if they'll just straighten this out on their own. But there comes a point where God says, I'm going to have to stop this. I'm going to have to call a timeout to slow things down and to stop the momentum. Sometimes in life, it's not just that we're super busy physically and with our schedules, although that's normally at the core of it. But did you know sometimes when we get that busy, the real problem is in our mind. I was reading an article yesterday about the brain, very interesting article. And, and as I was reading the article, I learned that the brain has two different modes. There's the active mode and there is the passive mode. The active mode is, is anytime we're processing information. 
So like right now, my mind is in the active mode. I'm processing a sermon. Your mind, hopefully, hopefully your mind is in an active mode. You're listening to a sermon and trying to take this in. The active mode is when we study, when we read, when we're doing a project at work, when we're in a meeting, when we're in a serious conversation with somebody, when we're watching, even when you're watching television, unless you're watching a show that's like Andy Griffith or some show like that that you can really relax and kind of zone in and zone out. If you're watching the news or even if you're watching a ball game, your mind is in active mode because you're actively processing information. But the other mode is called the passive mode. Some scientists call that the default mode. You and I might just call it the daydreaming mode. It's just kind of when we let our mind go neutral. And we're not actively processing information. We're not memorizing Bible verses. We're not working on a project. We're just, we're just it's kind of like you're driving down the Gulf Freeway and you're, you're just kind of daydreaming. You're, you're paying attention to the driving, but you're kind of in a place of neutral. Scientists tell us that our minds need between four and four and a half hours a day of passive mode, of the default mode. Uh, system is kind of what they call that. So every day you need, but that's not counting when you sleep, but you need four to four and a half hours every day where you're not actively processing information, where you're able to relax and you're able to recharge. Now the brain is not a muscle. The brain is actually an organ, has a little bit of muscle in it, but the brain functions very much like a muscle. And so those of you who exercise, you know, for example, if you go to the, to the gym on a particular day and you, for, so let's say you work out your biceps. And so there you are in the gym and you're doing curls and you're doing all your bicep workout and there you are on a Monday and you're doing that. Now, what are you gonna do on Tuesday? Well, if you're smart, on Tuesday, you're not going to go back to the gym and work out your biceps again because you just worked your biceps out on Monday. And if you work your biceps out again on Tuesday, it's actually going to be counterproductive because your biceps need a day of rest after they've had exercise. If you overwork your biceps, they'll actually shrink. They won't grow. It's on that day off. It's on that Tuesday after you exercised your biceps on Monday that your biceps actually begin to grow. Now, the brain is not a muscle. It's an organ, but interestingly enough, the brain functions very much like a muscle. And so here we are processing information. We're reading, we're working, we're studying, we're having intense conversations with family and friends. We're processing news on television, trying to figure out what to do with this virus. We're, we're watching TV shows, and so our mind is active, active, active. But the mind is calling out and begging to us, give me a break. Let me rest. Let me go into the passive mode because it is in that passive mode that not only our mind recharges, it's in that passive mode that our body recharges. This is why sometimes you can be going through life and you're, maybe you're sleeping good at night and, and you're not neglecting, uh, you know, you're eating well and you're doing all these things and yet you say, man, I'm just so tired. I can't figure out why I'm so physically tired. Well, many times the reason that you're physically tired is because your mind is staying in that active mode. And what that does, not only does it wear your mind out, wears your brain out, it wears your body out. And so that, this is why sometimes uh, doing something relaxing, going fishing, playing golf, watching some game, just doing something, some mindless activity, going on a walk, getting out in nature, riding in a boat, doing something like that can just 
totally recharge you and reset you. And it is in that season of life or in that season of time that your brain actually becomes creative all over again. And so every day we need time, whether that's in the evening, whether that's 30 minutes, 15 minutes throughout the day that we take that time. What I'm saying is one of, and I spent more, I spent more time on that than I should have, I'm sorry. But what I'm trying to say is one of the things that God is doing, one of the reasons God has called a time out is because he looks down at us and he says, you're too busy, you're going too fast, not only physically, but your minds are staying in the active mode. And what I want you to do is let your mind go in a more passive mode. Biblically, we might call that meditation. See, the active mode is you have your quiet time. You read your Bible. You memorize the scripture. That's active, 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 active. You go down your prayer list. Now you're praying for your kids and your family and your, fa- and your siblings and your parents and yourself. It's active, active, active. The passive mode says, now wait a second. I've just read a great deal out of the scripture. I've just put some things in my mind. Now I've got to go passive. Now I've got to meditate on what I've read so that I can apply it to our lives. And I'm saying to you today, most of us, this is just my conviction, and I'm speaking for myself. So I I know it's true of me, and I think it'd be true for most of us. We do love God. We do read our Bibles. We do pray. We do try to memorize Scripture. Most of us are failing in the area of meditation because we're so busy with active minds that we can never let them go passive and process what we've read and apply it to our lives. So that's the first reason I think God's called a time out, to slow us down. The second reason God has called a timeout and the second reason a coach might call a timeout is simply to give the team a chance to rest. And that's what God is doing here. He's giving us a chance to rest. This virus will end. I heard one of the leading doctors say this the other day and it was so encouraging to me. He said, this is not forever. This will end. And when it ends, we'll look back on it. And hopefully, one of the things we'll be able to do is to say, you know what, I didn't see it when it was happening, but in retrospect, I can see that God was giving me a break. God was giving me a chance to rest. And so that kind of ties in to the first thing I said about how God sometimes slows things down. A third reason that a coach calls a timeout, and I believe this is why God has called a timeout, is to assess the situation. To begin to ask ourselves, how are we doing in life? Am I going through life the right way? Do I need to make some changes in my life? I'll give you the most recent illustration that I have about assessing the situation. During the first 12 to 15 weeks of this virus, I had tried to do this in my own life. And I just reevaluate my life. What can I, how can I use my time better? How can I be a better Christian? How can I grow through what all we're going through? And I had jotted out some things and I had made some, some fairly minor changes in my life. And then it started up again on Friday. And so I said, well, here we go again. I need to assess the situation. What do I need to do differently? Well, yesterday, Saturday... We had a funeral here at the church. It was a, a small funeral. It was already, uh, already scheduled. I'm not even sure that we could have any more funerals right now with what's going on. We may have to postpone those again like we had to previously, but we did have one yesterday. And then I went back home after that and began the process of, uh, of doing some things at home and then kind of getting ready for today. And I said to myself late yesterday afternoon, I said, you know what, if I will go to bed earlier... I'm a night owl. Normally about 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, I get my second wind. And I'm sometime, I sometimes accomplish more between 9.30 and 11.30 and 12 than I have accomplished the whole day. And so that is kind of my favorite time of the day. To read, to think, to, if I'm doing a booklet, work on the booklet at that time. 
And yet, because of that, what that does, it keeps my mind in active mode. In other words, that should be passive mode time for me. And so last night I was home and I said, you know what? We're having church tomorrow at nine. I don't want to go up there being sleepy and sluggish, having been up to a two in the one or two or three in the morning before I went to sleep. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to bed early. And so I got in bed. I, I don't think I've done this since I was, I don't even, 10 years old. I was in bed last night shortly after 9.30, lay there for a while, finally went to sleep, woke up this morning, felt like a million bucks. And I said, you know what? I need to make a change in my life. And I, I'm trying, I've just done this one night. But I'm going to try to figure out how to shut it down earlier in the evening, go to bed earlier, and see if that won't be a blessing to me. So that's a silly illustration, and it may not even apply to you. But what I'm saying is when we're going through, now is the time to assess your life and to look at your schedule and to say, what's happening and uh, how am I doing? The fourth reason that coaches call timeouts, and I believe it's the fourth reason God has called a timeout here, is to discuss a new strategy. In other words, in that timeout, what's the coach going to do? The coach is going to say, okay, they just scored 14 points in a row. we got to stop the momentum, slow things down. Why did they score that many points? Now on that fourth one to discuss a new strategy, what do we need to do differently going forward? That's what I was saying last night. I, go, I went to bed at 930. I don't think I've ever felt this good this time of day. And so I'm feeling so wonderful. So it's a new strategy, and maybe that's something I'll stick with. We'll just see going forward. And then the fifth reason that a coach calls a timeout and I believe it's the fifth reason God's called a timeout on us, is to instill confidence in us so that after having slowed things down, taken some a time to rest, assessing the situation, developed a new strategy going forward so that, hey, friend, we want to come out of this pandemic better than we went into it. If we just say, I can't wait for this thing to get over so life can get back to normal. If all we do when this is over is go back to normal, here's what I would say to that. We have wasted the experience. We don't want to get back to normal. We want to get to a new normal, a better normal, a more effective normal, and we can if we will respond properly. And then if we make these changes that God leads us to make, and in, in, in with our thinking and with our schedules and so on, we will have a new confidence and we can go back into life better than we were before this happened. And so God, just like a smart coach would call a timeout when the thing's out of control, God has called a timeout on life because I think all of us would agree that the pace, the schedules of all of our lives have to some extent been under control. Now, if you agree with all that, say amen. Do you amen? Well, there were five people in here. They said amen. I hope you said amen at home. But that was the introduction for the sermon. I'm going to put it in high gear because I want us now to move into the Bible time and to add, this is the question I asked myself when I prepared this message. Is there anywhere in the Bible, is there a single example in all the Bible where God called a timeout on somebody's life? Now, I got thinking about that. In my mind, I'm reviewing all the Old Testament characters, and, and many of them. I'm reviewing New Testament characters, and I'm thinking, is there an example I could use to go along with what I'm saying here about how God calls the time? And I think there are many examples, but if you'll open your Bibles today to the book of Acts, I want to show you the best example that I can think of in all the Word of God about God calling a time out on somebody's life. And we're studying this morning about the Apostle Paul because there were several key times in the Apostle's life when God said, time out, Paul. Things are out of control. 
uh, you're going in the wrong direction. You're going too fast. I'm going to call a timeout, and I'm going to slow you down, and I'm going to do some great things in your life. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time this morning, I want to show you three examples in the life of the Apostle Paul. The first example, he wasn't even the Apostle Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was not even saved when God called the first time out. But God called three major timeouts in this man's life. And each time God called a timeout, what was he doing? Well, these five things again. Slowing things down, giving Paul a chance to rest, assessing the situation, discussing a new strategy, and instilling confidence in him going forward so that he could be a more effective servant of God. And each time that there was a timeout in Paul's life, after the timeout was over, Paul and everybody around Paul was better off than they had been before the timeout. And so today, timeout number one, two, and three. First of all, what was timeout number one all about? Timeout number one was to get Paul's attention. And I think that's what God's doing largely here. He is getting our attention. I hope we're giving him our attention. How foolish we would be not to give God our attention, especially when this drags on and on. Now, in the book of Acts, go to chapter number seven. I want us to look at this because Paul, his heart, he he thought he was being faithful to God. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. But he was indeed out of the will of God. And in fact, if you look in Acts chapter 7, towards the end of that chapter, we read about the stoning of Stephen. Stephen became the first martyr of the Christian church. He was stoned because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And as he was being stoned, in verse number 58, notice what this man that became known as the Apostle Paul was doing. It said, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so here's Saul, before he gets saved, persecuting Christians, thinking he's doing God a favor to try to wipe out the spread of Christianity. And as they're stoning Stephen, they lay their coats down at Saul's feet. What was he doing? He was consenting to their death. Now look in chapter 8 because it gets even worse. Verse 1, now Saul was consenting to his death, that is Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And devout men, men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, now watch what this man was doing. He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And so Paul was going all through Jerusalem, finding Christians, going into their homes even, pulling them out of their homes, throwing them into prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what's God doing while this was happening? God's watching. And God's thinking, Saul, your life is out of control. You think you're being such a good, faithful servant of mine when actually you're persecuting those who who know me in a personal way when as yet you don't even have the relationship with me. Now, go to chapter number 9 because God now is about to call a timeout on this man's life. And I wish we had time to just read the first 20 verses of Acts chapter 9 because here we read about the salvation experience of this man Saul on the Damascus Road. And if you've not read this in a while, I would encourage you soon, take a little time. But I'll read some of the verses to you now. Look in verse number 1. 
Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so now he's going to another country. He's going to Syria, Damascus, Syria. We see it in the news sometime now. He's going there trying to find Christians to arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could be persecuted and maybe even killed. Verse 3, as he, came, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. The goads was like a stick that ranchers would use to get their animals to move in a certain direction. Very sharp tip on the end. And what God was saying to Saul was, you're kicking against the goads. Here you are persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. Now you're going to Damascus, Syria to persecute more Christians. And yet deep in your heart, you don't even know what's wrong, but you know something's wrong. Your conscience is bothering you. And so you're kicking against the goads as it were. So what was God doing? God's calling a time out on this man's life to slow things down. Verse 6, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into this city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there. Now watch this. Three days without sight. And during those three days, he neither ate nor drank. And if we read on, we would read that God now spoke to a man named Ananias who lived in Damascus and said, Ananias, there's a man named Saul. He's on a particular street. Go to him. Tell him how to be saved. Ananias went to him. He told him how to be saved. Saul received Jesus Christ. The scales fell off of his eyes, and then he was baptized. And so what had God done on that Damascus road? You say, well, God struck him blind. Well, he did. You say, well, God slowed him down. Well, he did. You say, well, God got his attention. Well, he did. But I'll tell you what God did. He called a timeout. And he said, Saul, your life is completely out of control. And so I'm calling a timeout to get your attention so that you will focus on Jesus Christ. And when he did that, he was saved and his life was never the same. Could it be that during this prolonging of this COVID-19, that God is calling a timeout on you to get your attention and to cause you to focus on Jesus Christ in a fresh new way. My dad mentioned that in the last few weeks, there have been several people who have, at the end of these services, gone to that website information that he gave a little bit earlier that I'll give you at the end. And they have said, there's a decision I need to make for Jesus Christ. And I believe it was two weeks ago today, I got an email from uh, from the church office and, you know, we we're trying to divvy up these names and this person calls this person and this person calls that person. And so I got a name of a man named Neil. And Neil is 37 years old and he has visited our church. And he was in one of the services just a few weeks ago when my dad was actually preaching. And at the end of my dad's sermon, he said, if you want to be saved, if you have any decision for Jesus Christ, Go to the website, fbp.org slash connect. Tell us what the decision is, or even if you just want to talk to a minister, somebody will call you today. 
Well, I had gotten that early in the day, and it's typical for me. I'm always going to put things off just a little bit. So it got to be about 9, 9.15 that night when I, and, until last night. That's always been my favorite time of day. I'm making a change now. But anyway, on that night, I thought it's 9, 9.15. I'm going to call Neil and just tell him we're glad he came to church and see what his decision is. So I called him, and have you ever had, and I know, I know you have, but I've had this in my life. Sometimes you call a total stranger. Never met him, never seen him, have no idea who they are, and yet... You talk to them, you hit it off, and you feel like you've known this person all your life. Well, I had that connection with Neil. We talked probably 25 minutes on the phone that night. And, and uh, at the end of the conversation, I said, well, Neil, listen, it's getting a little bit later. And I said, I noticed that you went to our website today and you said you want to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Actually, what he said was he wanted to be baptized. And he said to me, he said, John, I want to be baptized, but with social distancing, I mean, it is true, you can't baptize somebody. That'd be a weird baptism. It was six feet between you, so you just about can't do it right now. He said, I want to get baptized whenever we can do that again. But as we were talking on, I said, well, Neil, we can handle that. That'd be no problem. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you have the complete and full assurance that you're saved, or do you think that you need to get that settled in your heart before you get baptized. And he was quiet for a moment and he thought about it. And he said, well, he said, to be honest with you, I do think I'm saved. He said, but before I take that next step and get baptized, and he had told me many of the things he had gone through in his life. He said, to be honest with you, he said, I'm meeting with another Christian the next day. In fact, he was to meet with Bobby Grimes the next morning. I believe he said at 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. He said, I'm meeting with Bobby in the morning at 10 or 11 o'clock. He said, but, and he said this to me. He said, John, I'm wondering, even though I'm going to meet with Bobby in the morning, would it be okay tonight while I'm on the phone with you if we prayed together and you helped me to know 100% sure that I'm saved? And that night, there I was in my house, and I said, absolutely. And I had the privilege over the phone of leading that man to pray a prayer where he said basically to Jesus, Lord, I think I'm saved, but I'm not 100% sure, and so I want to get it settled right now. If I'm saved, thank you, but if not, come into my heart. And you know what? When he prayed that prayer and got it settled, I could tell a peace came into his heart. And I texted Neil last night. I said, Neil, Tomorrow morning, can I tell your story in the sermon? And he said, absolutely, you can. So that's why I'm telling you his name and his age because he has given me permission. And so there's one example of God calling a timeout on somebody. For what reason? To get their attention and to cause them to turn their minds to God in a fresh new way. That was timeout number one in, in, in Saul's life before he became the Apostle Paul. Timeout number two was a little bit different. This timeout, what was the purpose of timeout number two? It was to test Paul's faith. Now, turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 16. Go all the way from chapter number uh, 8, 9, where you are, and go to chapter 16, because in Acts chapter 16, we're finding that Paul is in a jail in a place called Philippi. And we've been there on a tour through the years and been able to go to this little, to this little place where Paul was, was imprisoned. And he had been imprisoned because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 16, Beginning in verse 25, I want you to notice what happened. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, look back in verse 24, because I want you to get the feel of this setting that these guys were in. 24 says, having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, 
Paul is in the most farthest back part of this prison. It's dark. There are no windows. He can't see out. And now his feet, he and Silas, their feet have been put in shackles. And he's bound in this prison. And yet at midnight, Paul and Silas are singing and praising hymns to God. And if we read the rest of that passage, we would see, we just did see part of it. It said the other prisoners were listening to them. And they were thinking, what amazing faith. Here these guys are in prison for their faith in God. And instead of complaining and bellyaching and where's God and why God glad is, what are they doing? They're singing hymns to God. See, their faith, Paul and Silas's faith, got the attention of these other prisoners. And it especially got the attention of the guard, the jailer who was working in this prison. And look in verse number 30, what he said. It says, he brought them out. This is after an earthquake. God sent an earthquake, and then the doors of the prison opened up, but Paul and Silas stayed right where they were, and the jailer's watching this. He's amazed. Verse 30, he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were in a terrible situation, and you responded with such faith, such praise in God, such dignity, such class, such perseverance, such graciousness, such kindness, you know, such confidence, such poise that somebody came up to you and said, something is going on in you. You've got something I don't have. You tell me what it is you have in your life that I don't have in my life. That's what this jailer was saying to Paul and Silas. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You've got something I don't have. There's no way that you could be where you are in those, in those chains, in the back part of this prison with such peace if you didn't have something I don't have, what must I do to have what you have? Look in verse 31. This is one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. That is, if your household believes, they can be saved too. But the way to get saved is by believing in Jesus Christ. So the point I'm making here is Paul and Silas, God called a time out. They're traveling all over this part of the world. They're in Greece now. And uh, they're sharing with people how to be saved. And they get to Philippi, and God calls a timeout. And now they're in prison. And Paul and Silas might have been tempted to think, well, why are we in prison? All we were trying to do is tell people how to be saved. And yet God knew if he put them in prison, they would have a greater opportunity to tell people how to be saved. This jailer got saved. His family got saved. And so they responded so appropriately and so rightly to the injustice they were going through and to the situation they were facing that it got other people's attention. And so what I'm saying to you today, hey, we're in a test right now. God is testing our faith. Here's the question. How are we going to respond? With anger? Some people, I've heard some people, they're just mad. I mean, I can't believe. Well, I mean, if, if your response to this is just anger, then that's not going to be a very good witness for God. But if your response is acceptance, if your attitude is God's in control, He has permitted it, He has a purpose, well, that, that gets people's attention because they're like, well, you know something I don't know. So let me ask you, are you responding with anger or with acceptance? Are you responding to this what, that's going on in the world with frustration? I think many people are frustrated. I think most people are frustrated. Or are you responding with fortitude, saying God's in control? This is not just something that's happened. God's allowed it to happen. I've got a certain strength. Are you responding to this virus with fear? Many people have fear. I'm scared I'm going to get it. Scared somebody make close to me get it. Or do you have faith? Now, faith isn't foolishness. We do need to do what the doctors say. But still, faith says, I'm going to be okay. God's going to see me through this no matter what happens. And so, when God called a timeout on Paul this second time and Silas, it was to test their faith so that they could respond properly, 
Other people could notice that, and other people would get saved. Now, turn to the very end of Acts. This is the third time out. And this is the last time out that I'm gonna, we're going to think about today. But in time out number three, what was God doing? I'll tell you what God was doing. Time out number three, God was getting ready to use Paul in greater ways. To use Paul in greater ways. Now, by the time we come to Acts chapter 28, Paul is in Rome. He had been arrested back in Jerusalem for his faith in Jesus. Now, in 16, he was uh, in Philippi, but he made his way back to Jerusalem, arrested for his faith in Jesus. He ends up in Rome. He is to appeal now, appear now before Caesar because of his faith. And while there, God called a timeout, and we find the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison. That's a different type of prison. Look in verse 30. It says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. So at this point in Rome, Paul is not in a jail cell like we would think of it. He's in a rented house. And it was probably paid for by other Christians living in Rome. But this was nonetheless his imprisonment. Look at what he was doing while he was in this in this imprisonment. Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And so Paul's in Rome. His desire is to tell everybody in Rome about Jesus so they could be saved, so they could experience the same forgiveness, second chance at life, new beginning, peace, hope, joy that he now has, yet he's in prison. God called a timeout. But in that prison, people are coming to him to visit him. Jewish people, other people, and everyone who comes to visit Paul receives the gospel. He tells them how they might be saved. Now, I want you to try to get in Paul's mind as he's in that, as he's in that little rented house there in Rome. And maybe, I'm sure it was a small house. I don't know if he had a cot or what kind of bed he had. But let's just use our sanctified imagination and play like one night Paul's laying in that cot and it's, it's dark, of course, it's late at night, and he can't sleep, and, and he's praying. And he said, God, after you saved me on that Damascus road and changed my life, all I wanted to do was spend the rest of my life telling other people how they could be saved. God, before I got saved, my conscience bothered me. I was kicking against the goads. I knew I wasn't doing right. I didn't have any peace. I was searching for peace, but I didn't have any peace. God, I was a mean, angry person. I was responsible for the death of many Christians. And yet, God, on that Damascus road, you called a timeout on me. You got my attention. And you sent that man named Ananias all the way to where I was on that street called Straight in Damascus here. He told me about you and, and how you had died on that cross to forgive me, to give me a new beginning, that you through the person of the Holy Spirit could come live in my heart and, and, and change my life. And Lord, you've done that. You've given me joy I never thought I would have. Peace like a river. But God, all I want to do is tell people how to be saved. Let's just play like this. Let's just play like Paul said. God, if you would get me out of this prison. God, if you would just let me get out of this rented house. There are about a million people living in Rome. And there were, at this time in history, there were about a million people living in Rome. And Paul said, God... Maybe we could have a big revival. Maybe we could have a crusade. Or maybe I could just go door to door. But God, there are a million people living in Rome who need to hear about Jesus. And yet, God, I'm in this, I'm in this house. I'm in this prison. I'm, I'm laying on this cot. God, I can't go to a million people if I'm, if I'm confined to this prison. 
God hears that prayer. God knows Paul's heart. And God says to Paul, Paul, I know how you feel. I know how grateful you are to me for how I changed your life, forgave your sins, gave you a second chance, filled your heart with peace, joy, love. And and Paul, I know that the desire of your heart would be to go to every person in Rome and tell them how they could be saved. And you're right, Paul, there are about a million people living here. And I know the desire of your heart is to tell all million people how to be saved. But Paul, keep in mind, in the past, Every time I called a time out on you, it was for your good and it was for other people's good. And so, Paul, I've called a time out on you now because I've got something even better planned for you than preaching to a million people in Rome. Paul says, God, how could you have anything better than my sharing the gospel with a million people in the city of Rome? And God says, well, Paul, let me tell you what I've got planned. What I want you to do is to take some paper and to take a pen. And I'm going to put some things on your heart and in your mind. And when I do that, Paul, and I'm going to do that not all at once. I'm going to do it over the next few months because Paul probably spent about two years in this, what's called his first Roman imprisonment. Bible scholars tell us that after this imprisonment here we read about in Acts 28, Paul was released from prison. He was able to go freely witness and tell people about God and how to be saved and so on. And then he was arrested again. And that was his second Roman imprisonment where he was placed in what's called the maritime prison there back in Rome. He wrote 2 Timothy from his second Roman imprisonment. And as soon as he finished writing 2 Timothy, uh, historians tell us he was beheaded because of his faith in Jesus Christ. But this is not his second. This is his first Roman imprisonment. And God speaks to Paul in that in that little rented house, and God says, Paul, if you'll write what I'll tell you to write, you're going to end up writing letters that will end up in the Bible. In the Bible? And Paul says, God, and he holds up his Old Testament, and he says, God, this is the Bible. What do you mean? I'm going to write something that's going to go in the Bible. And God says to Paul, Paul, what you're holding up is the Old Testament. But if you'll listen to what I say, and if you'll write what I tell you to write, I'm counting on you to help me write part of the New Testament. And in that, this, Roman, this first Roman imprisonment, in that rented house, the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. I think about some of those verses in those books, and I think about how they've blessed my life. For example, in Ephesians 2.8, Paul wrote what God told him to write, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Paul, in one verse, is giving giving us the way to be saved, but he's giving it to us. He's writing it down while his life was, they had a time out on it and he's in his rented house there in Rome. I think about when he wrote Philippians, so many verses in Philippians I love, but especially in that fourth chapter where Paul said, God told him to write it and Paul wrote, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse seven, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then a few verses later, Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You say, was Paul frustrated in that Roman? No, he wasn't frustrated. He was content. Then he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul, what I'm saying is God called a timeout on Paul's life. And Paul thought, God, because I'm in this prison, 
I can't witness to a million people in Rome. And God said, no, you can't. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can write Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And those letters will one day end up in the Bible. And Paul, one of these days, there will be over a hundred million Bibles printed a year. Paul said, printed? The printing press didn't even come out to the 1500s. He didn't know what God was printed a year. And God would have said to Paul, Paul, I know this doesn't make sense to you now, but one of these days, not only will over 100 million Bibles be printed a year, but there will be well over 5 billion Bibles in the world. And you, Paul, will do something far greater than preach to a million people in Rome in your lifetime. You will preach, you will write, you will minister to the entire world, not only of your day, but for the rest of time. You see, God called a timeout on Paul's life. Why? Because he was getting ready to use him in greater ways. Now, you're not Paul and neither am I. I'm John and you're who you are. And yet, during this virus, what has God done? He's called a timeout. He slowed us down to assess the situation, to get a new strategy going forward. Maybe today, it, maybe you're like Neil. Maybe God's trying to get your attention. Maybe God is testing your faith to see if you'll respond properly. Maybe God is preparing to use you in greater ways than you ever imagined. What I'm saying to you today is for however much longer this virus drags on, let's get the most out of it. And let's let God do whatever it is He wants to do in our lives so that when it's all over, we can look back on it and say, even something that could have been bad, God used it for good in my life. And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I think of what Paul said in, in, in one of those verses in Philippians. He said, the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I mean, Paul said that. Paul said, hey, man, I, I was kind of down on myself. I was discouraged. I was frustrated. God called a timeout and put me in a rented house in Rome. And yet here, God gave me an opportunity. People who are coming to visit me are being saved. God's telling me things to write that I can send to other people and they'll be blessed. Paul had no idea how greatly he would ultimately be used. That conversation, that sanctified imagination conversation, I, that, did, that conversation probably didn't really happen. Paul didn't know that one day over 100 million Bibles would be printed a year, that over 5 billion would be in circulation, that the whole world would read his writings. All he knew was that God was saying to him, be faithful where you are. And so let me ask you today, wherever you are, what do you need to do to be faithful. Some of you, like Neil, need to be saved. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. Would you just pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, you have my attention. And God, I'm like Neil. I can't tell if I'm saved or not. I just don't have that full assurance. And so I'm asking you right now, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you to do it. Say this to God. Say, God, I don't look for a sign. I don't ask for a special feeling. I stand on your word that if I would trust you, you would save me. And I do trust you, Jesus, right here and right now. Father, I thank you for those who have prayed that today. Fill their hearts with peace. God, others of us who are already saved, God, I ask you to show us what changes we need to make in our lives so that when this whole thing's over with, we can be better Christians and better people than we've ever been. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said,
Amen and amen.